I invite you to join me now in the book of Jeremiah once again. Jeremiah, the 26th chapter. We shall actually cover chapters 26, 27, 28, and 29 this morning. Some of you look alarmed, as well you should be. I'm a little alarmed myself. Before reading the word, I wanted to take just a moment to thank, as Nathan did, the worship team last Sunday, Pastor Willis for preaching, also uh, for Stephen Sanders, as well as uh, Nathan and Lauren Murphan going as messengers to the Southern Baptist Convention. Appreciate what they did and what went on. We'll talk about that at another point, but not this morning. Jeremiah chapter 26. So let's begin at verse 1. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the Lord. All the words that I command you to speak to them, do not hold back a word. It may be they will listen. And everyone turn from his evil way that I may relent of the disaster that I intend to do to them because of their evil deeds. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me to walk in my law that I have set before you and to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I sent to you urgently, though you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh and I will make this house a curse for all the nations of the earth. The priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. When Jeremiah had finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, then the priests and the prophets and all the people laid hold of him saying, you shall die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord saying, this house shall be like Shiloh and this city shall be desolate without inhabitant. And all the people gathered around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. At this point, you should be alarmed if you are Jeremiah. When the officials of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and took their seat in the entry of the new gate of the house of the Lord. Then the priests and the prophets said to the officials and to all the people, this man deserves the sentence of death because he has prophesied against this city as you have heard with your own ears. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the officials and all the people saying, the Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and this city all the words you've heard. Now therefore mend your ways and your deeds and obey the voice of the Lord your God and the Lord will relent of the disaster that he has pronounced against you. My goodness, the message has not altered. But as for me, behold, I am in your hands. Do with me as seems good and right to you. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and its inhabitants. For in truth, the Lord sent me to speak all these words in your ears. Chapter 27, beginning at verse 1. In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus the Lord said to me, make yourself straps and yoke bars and put them on your neck. Send word to the king of Edom, the king of Moab, the king of the sons of Ammon, the king of Tyre, and the king of Sidon by the hand of the envoys who have come to Jerusalem, to Zedekiah, king of Judah. Give them this charge for their masters. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, this is what you shall say to your masters. It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm 
have made the earth with the men and animals that are on the earth, and I give it to whomever it seems right to me. Now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And I have given him also the beasts of the field to serve him. All the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings shall make him their slave. But if any nation or kingdom will not serve this Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, I will punish that nation with the sword, with famine and with pestilence, declares the Lord, until I have consumed it by his hand. So do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your fortune tellers, or your sorcerers who are saying to you, you shall not serve the king of Babylon, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you with the result that you will be removed far from your land and I'll drive you out and you will perish. But any nation that will bring its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I'll leave on its own land to work it and dwell there, declares the Lord. Chapter 28, first four verses. In that same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fifth month of the fourth year, Hananiah, the son of Azur, or Azur, the prophet from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I'll bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I'll also bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I'll break the yoke of the king of Babylon. You follow me? Chapter 29, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. This indeed is the word of our God. Let's pray. Now grant to us, Father, by your spirit, that we would rightly see, hear, understand, and apply this your word. Give us faith. Grant us repentance. Give us attentiveness. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. The series on Jeremiah we've subtitled God's Painful Faithfulness. As Jeremiah the prophet has a lot to say about the judgment of God and the wrath of God. The wrath here is the ultimate outcome, the promised outcome of Judah's faithlessness. They had violated the covenant with the Lord repeatedly, and just as the northern kingdom Israel had fallen about 130 years earlier, Judah was about to fall in a number of stages. Sometimes the Lord's painful faithfulness requires the believer to engage in faithfulness which may be dangerous for the believer as well as contradicted by others who claim to follow the same Lord. We see this here, right? Four chapters, basically three messages. One early during the reign of Jehoiakim, the successor to Josiah, the next during the reign of Zedekiah, toward the end, 
And the final, during the short reign of Jehoiakim, he's just been taken into exile, Zedekiah is in charge. Each message, each is a message followed by a message from another prophet or prophets. In each, the Lord's intention is made clear. In each of these records, there's a prophecy of Jeremiah, and then there's a contradictory word from other priests, prophets, leaders. How is Judah to know to whom they should listen? I mean, this is truly not an unusual thing. We experience this in our own day, do we not? To whom shall we listen? It's not always easy to tell. Of course, for us, the issue is always whether or not the message accords with the Scriptures. That's element, that element is here as well. But what do you do when you have people giving you different scenarios? What do you do when you have one saying, you've got to repent, and somebody else saying, no, you're fine. One says, you're doomed. Says, oh, no, it's all fine. It's all good. Everything will be lovely. How do we respond to that? What does faithfulness here look like? Well, the first thing I'd point out is this. We, we tend, and think about it this way. We tend to say, <laughs> we tend to say what we think people want to hear, and we tend to hear what we want to hear. Right? Now, some of you are nodding, and others are, I'm not moving. I'm not admitting anything. I want it straight. Tell me the truth all the time. I always want it straight. Yeah, and you don't. Nobody always wants it straight. Faithfulness. Now think of it this way. Faithfulness is required in the face of opposition, contradiction, and misery. Now that's a real pleasant thought overall, right? See, we like faithfulness when it's easy. We like faithfulness when it doesn't cost us anything. We like faithfulness when we look good being faithful. But faithfulness that makes us look like a jerk, faithfulness that makes us look like a problem, faithfulness that makes us run contrary to everybody else, we just don't really like it that much. We have a real hard time living for the Word of our God, for him to say, well done. We're so desperate looking for everybody else to tell us, well done, we lose sight of the only well done that honestly matters. Hmm. All right, first consideration. Faithfulness may cost you your life. Chapter 26 begins with a sermon. During the reign of Josiah, both the king and Jeremiah had sought to bring Judah back to single-hearted faithfulness. Now, during the early days of Jehoiakim's reign comes the sobering threat of destruction. If you look at chapter 26, it echoes chapter 7, the temple sermon. Now, this goes back before Nebuchadnezzar arrives on the scene in 605 B.C. So, the chapters which begin at chapter 7 are almost entirely, when you read there in that group, the spoken word of God. Here at chapter 26, we're given a lot more context about how the prophecy of the temple sermon was received. Now, it's possible that this is a second giving of the sermon, but I think it more likely that as Jeremiah and his companion Baruch are putting together this book, Jeremiah says, you know what? We need to talk about opposition. We need to talk about what it means to be faithful when people don't like it. So let's revisit the sermon we mentioned in chapter 7. Of course, when they write it, there's no chapter 7. Let's revisit the temple sermon and let's tell the rest of the story. Here is a kind of Paul Harvey moment, all right? It's not just the sermon, it's how everybody responded to the sermon. Again, I'll let you in on a little secret. 
Preachers are usually curious how people respond to the sermon. Now, there have been times the response to the sermon has been a thing that no preacher ever wanted to hear. I still remember a fellow that told me back when I was the ripe old age of 19 and preaching that I had just preached the worst, most horrible sermon he had ever heard in his entire life and that I ought to be ashamed of myself. Great encouragement for proceeding Christian ministry. But I've never had anybody threaten to kill me. Yet. <laughs> this faithfulness for Jeremiah, we too often think of it easy, cost-free, bold, and then we see the reaction. Uh, the priests and the prophets and all the people, this man deserves the sentence of death. Verse 11. You ought to be dead for preaching like that. Goodness, that sounds eerily similar to something in the Gospel of John, the 19th chapter. The Jews answered, we have a law, and according to that law, he, Jesus, ought to die because he made himself son of God. My friends, there are some things you can say based on the word of God that some consider worthy of capital punishment especially when it's confrontational to their life and lifestyle. You ought to die for that. You go on in that 26th chapter and you find there's a review that takes place. We read in verse 10, when the officials of Judah heard these things, they came up and they took their seat in the entry of the new gate. What they're doing is holding court. So should Jeremiah die for what he's done. And they, <laughs> oh boy, they're certain he ought to, and the leaders are going, mm, no. And here's their example. Then the officials and all the people said to the priest, this is verse uh, 16, this man does not deserve the sentence of death, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. And certain of the elders of the land arose and spoke to all the assembled people, saying, Micah of Moresheth, by the way, you have his prophecy here in the Old Testament, prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and said to all the people of Judah, thus says the Lord of hosts, they cite Old Testament, other prophecy, Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah and, all the Judah, and all Judah put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord? And did not the Lord relent of the disaster he pronounced against them? But we are about to bring great disaster upon ourselves. Don't do this. Now, it's a little less clear who the speaker is, starting at verse 20. We're not sure if this is editorial comment on Jeremiah's part. Exactly. It doesn't seem to be the ongoing statement of the elders, but we're given another example here. There was another man who prophesied in the name of the Lord, Uriah, the son of Shemaiah, from Kiriath-Jerim. He prophesied against this city and against this land in words like those of Jeremiah. And when King Jehoiakim, with all his warriors and all the officials, heard his words, the king sought to put him to death. But when Uriah heard of it, he was afraid and fled and escaped to Egypt. Then King Jehoiakim sent to Egypt certain men, Elnathan, the son of Achbor, and others with him. And they took Uriah from Egypt, and they brought him to King Jehoiakim, who struck him down with the sword and dumped his dead body into the burial place of the common people. All right, so we have two separate reactions. Micah makes a similar prophecy. He lives. The people repent. Uriah makes a prophecy. They hunt him down. They drag him out of Egypt, bring him back to Jerusalem, and they put him to death. And so we're going, okay. Well, apparently Jeremiah didn't die because we've got the account, but what actually happened? Well, here's what we're told at verse 24. Then the hand of Ahikam, 
the son of Shaphan, who's with Jeremiah, so that he was not given over to the people to be put to death. There's a reprieve. Now, first of all, who is this Ahikam, the son of Shaphan? Well, he's apparently part of a righteous family who had first supported King Josiah. Because you look back in 2 Kings 22, and we read, In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the secretary to the house of God. So here's this Shaphan, who is apparently Ahikam's dad. And then in chapter 22 of 2 Kings, at verse 11, the king, they, remember, they, they're remodeling the temple. And as they're remodeling the temple, they break through a wall and they find a scroll, several. But one of them contains the law of God that somehow has been abandoned inside the temple and they'd actually sealed it up in a room during a remodeling thing. They didn't have a copy of the Word of God. And it freaks them all out. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, this is still Josiah, he tore his clothes, and the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam the son of Shaphan, hmm, same fellow, and Achbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the secretary and so on, go inquire the Lord for me and for the people. And it was a time of repentance. This man assumes leadership the elders, the leaders of the city are not going to put him to death even though they had two ways to go here. He doesn't die. Now, you say, well, that's lovely. All's well that ends well. Not so much. They did escape the horrific penalty of putting to death a genuine prophet of the Lord. But folks, bear in mind, this is early in Jeremiah's ministry. He's not done this very long. And people want him dead. Later on, we're going to see at one point, they got so angry at him, they threw him down an empty cistern filled with mud and thought they'd put him to death later if he didn't die from exposure. Faithfulness, my friends, can lead you to be seen as a traitor and threatened with death. Now, the second thing I'd have you see is this. Faithfulness is always accompanied with humility. And chapters 27 and 28 have a peculiar account. We move here from the early part of Jehoiakim's reign to the early part of Zedekiah's reign. And, and, and there he is here in this very dark prophecy a ray of hope if Israel would only see it. Now, here's the first thing that stands out. I love this. Here's the first part of this. Take his yoke upon you. Now, we think of that, and what do we think? We quote Jesus, right? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and my yoke is easy, my burden is light. <laughs> this ain't the same yoke. All right? Verse Thus the Lord, chapter 27, said to me, Jeremiah that is, make yourself straps and yoke bars and put them on your neck and then send word, tells them to all send the word. Verse 5, it is I who by my great power, my outstretched arm have made the earth and he says he's given everything over to the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 8, if any nation or kingdom will not serve this Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, I'll punish that nation with sword, famine, pestilence, declares the Lord till I've consumed it. Verse 11, any nation that will bring its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I'll leave on its own land to work it and dwell there, declares the Lord. May I point out to you, my friends, that it doesn't matter who the emperor is. It doesn't matter who the president is. It doesn't matter who the king is. God is the one who sets up leaders. I said, well, then what should I do? Should I vote? Should I bother? Yes, you should. 
Well, why should I bother? Because you're called to do this. This is your responsibility. Be engaged. But you also have to know something, my friend. There is no doubt, reading Jeremiah, that the Lord claims that every single leader reigns under his reign. He's in charge. Well, Nebuchadnezzar is a pagan. God's in charge. This is not in any way diminished when you get to the New Testament. For of all things, Paul will talk about obeying authorities, and the authority in that day was none other than Nero. And I remind you of the old saw, Nero was such a wicked man that to this day, men name their sons Paul and their dogs Nero. Hmm. Take his yoke upon you. The next time Nebuchadnezzar comes, we're told he will finish the destruction of the temple, verses 19 to 22. And this is all sounds very dark, but there's, you see there is this little element of hope in this. If you'll do this, you'll be okay. And then you get to chapter 28. In that same year, verse 1, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah. Boy, that seems very close to chapter 27, verse, verse 1. In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Sounds very similar, doesn't it? In the fifth month of the fourth year, Hananiah, the son of Azor, the prophet from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, and what does he say? The Lord God of Israel says, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I'll bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place, carried to Babylon. I'll also bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the exiles, and I'll break the yoke of the king of Babylon. How verse 4 ends. Now, this is when Jeremiah then challenges him to a throwdown right in the town square. And they're going to duke it out. No. That's not what happened. Verse 6. The prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. May the Lord do so. May the Lord make the words that you have prophesied come true and bring back to this place from Babylon the vessels of the house of the Lord and all the exiles. Great. Amen. Yet, hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. You see what he's saying? Up to this point, the prophecies have been disaster, and they've all come true. Nobody yet that's prophesied peace has seen peace. But if the Lord does that, and wasn't that the rule, right? Here are the requirements for a prophet. You could not speak contrary to a prior word of the Lord. You weren't supposed to be heard. You could not prophesy and try to lead people away from serving the Lord. And if you prophesied anything about the future that didn't come true, all three of those earned you a one-way ticket to the death penalty. Brethren, can I let you know a secret? If that were true today, we'd have a lot less of these weirdos out there making prophecies. Hmm. I know there will not be an apology. So Hananiah takes it a step further, verse 10. He takes the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah the prophet and he breaks them. He's going to be dramatic. My prophecy is coming true. That yoke isn't happening. Mm. 
and said thus, this is Hananiah, thus says the Lord, even so I'll break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations within two years. But Jeremiah the prophet went his way. Sometime after the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke bars, this is verse 12, from off the neck of Jeremiah the prophet, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, go tell Hananiah, he's got a word. Here's the word. Thus says the Lord, you've broken wooden bars, but you've made in their place bars of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put upon the neck of all these nations an iron yoke to serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him, for I have given to him even the beasts of the field. And Jeremiah the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you've made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. In that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah Jeremiah will not back away from what he has said because he believed God truly spoke. He is humble enough to say, I hope you're right. I don't see it, but I hope you're right. May it be. But then when the Lord speaks again, such clarity, and folks, do you understand how honestly terrifying this ought to be for anybody that deigns to stand and speak on behalf of God. You ought not take this thing lightly. You take your life in your hands. Especially if you lie to people. And oh, my brothers and sisters, I am here to tell you, there are so many lying voices. It's easier to tell you who's telling the truth because it's a much smaller list. Humility. And I love that Jeremiah doesn't say, don't you dare contradict me. I'm the prophet of the Lord, buddy. I'll bust you. There's humility. Maybe God, maybe God spoke to you. Not the message I got, but maybe he did. And when he walks away, he does so with humility. When he comes back, he does so with boldness. And when he does, God honors his word. Mm. So, death threatened contradiction and confrontation by another false prophet. And then the next thing we see in the 29th chapter, the third thing, is faithfulness in heartbreaking circumstances. Now what we have here is a letter. These are the words of the letter, verse 1, that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the Queen Mother, the eunuchs, and the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers, had departed from Jerusalem. And here is his word. Settle down. Get to liking it. You see that? Verse 5, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat the produce, get married, have weddings, have families. Verse 7, seek the welfare of the city that I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your 
welcome. Pray for the Babylonians. <laughs> now, I got, a, I got a little thing to let you know here. I think there, there were a lot of folks out of Judah that were praying for the Babylonians. Imprecatory psalms, God kill them all. Break their arms, break their teeth, break their necks, break them, destroy them, crush them. Do the exodus over again, Lord. But the word of the Lord is pray for the welfare of your captors. Listen to how one brother puts it. Prayer is not for the benefit of God, although both praise and petition belong in a relationship with God. Prayer changes both the perceptions of those who pray and their actions. Surely this is the case in ancient Babylon. As Judeans pray for the welfare of the city, God's people will learn that no one is only an enemy. In the case of Babylon, their doom is sure to come, but in a radical way, God has bound the fortunes of his people with their enemy. There is something profound at work in such circumstances. What comes with clarity in the gospel is already adumbrated in the Old Testament, though prayer, through prayer, one can look at opponents or problems, now hear this, as more than someone or something to overcome. They can also be a means of education and sanctification, the agents through whom one finds growth and relationship with God. Folks, I know you say, how is this helping? Folks, do you understand how many of our brothers and sisters live under the equivalent of Babylonian captivity today? They live dominated by people who loathe them. They live dominated by people who find them reprehensible. They live at risk of their very life and health. My friends, have you not figured out yet Y'all living in Babylon, too. It's a nicer Babylon in that they haven't tried to kill any of us yet. They've tried to arrest a few, and they've tried to intimidate many into silence. But y'all living in Babylon. I'm not living in Springfield. I'm living in Ozark. I'm living in Nixon. I don't even live in the city limits. I'm out in the country. Things are different out in the country. My friend, you liveth in Babylon. If you ain't noticed, we ain't in charge. How are you going to live? What does faithfulness look like? Protests. Maybe. Marches, maybe. Political action committees, big maybe. How about this? How about you build houses and live in them? How about you plant gardens and eat the produce? How about you get married? Have weddings and celebrate. How about you seek the welfare in the place you live? How about you pray on behalf of the place you live? How about you just go ahead and multiply? Christian, do you hear the word? You and I are called not merely to look at Babylon around us and gripe and moan and certainly not hate. Pray for the good of this city or whichever city or town, municipality, county is your home. Well, it's hard to live. You bet. Nothing new here. My dear family, nothing new here. The first century church lived under the scourge and hatred of Jewish leadership wherever they were. 
And beyond that, when the Romans figured out they were some different critter than the Jews, the Romans did their best to exterminate them. Live where you live. Flee if you must. But live. There was purpose in the selection of the Scripture reading this morning. To pray that we can have peaceful lives. To get on with business. Faithfulness, my friend, is to be faithful in difficult, hard circumstances. And my fear is we spend more time grousing, griping, complaining about our circumstances far more than we spend any energy praying. Yeah, that one hurts, doesn't it? And then we fall into the trap. Here's, here's the warning in this letter about phonies at verse 8. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams they, they dream, for it's a lie they're prophesying to you in, that, in my name. I didn't send them, declares the Lord. There's a warning here about phonies. You and I are called to use wisdom, Hebrews 5.14 Solid food for the mature, for those who have powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And then right in the middle of this, a hopeful promise. Verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I'll visit you. Now we've looked at this before, but here it is another time. When 70 years are completed, I will visit you, this is the Lord speaking, and I'll fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Mercy six. how many times have you heard this thing pulled out of context, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you'll call upon me and come to pray to me and I'll hear you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I'll be found by you, declares the Lord. And I'll restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places. For I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I'll bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Hope. Hope. Seventy years delayed may die before it happens. Hope. Christian, hear me. You and I are called to live in hope. Now, we live under different terms. We're not under the terms of the Mosaic legislation. We're not under the terms of this kind of judgment. The covenant blessings and the covenant curses do not come to us this way. For in our stead, the covenant curses have fallen on the Son of God. He was hung on a tree and made a curse for us. Now friend, if that doesn't start making you a little bit happy, you're not just not Pentecostal, I'm not even sure you're converted. The Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. The punishment that should have fallen on us has fallen on him. Hope. I can encourage you. Take a concordance, use a Bible program, and just start looking up the word hope. You want to know what hope looks like for those of us who live in modern Babylon? Here we go. Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. 
Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope. Romans 8, 24, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Hope. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Do you see that Paul in Romans makes a connection between tribulation, patience, and hope? See, we want hope without the tribulation and the patience. The hope is what grants you the patience to live under the tribulation. Hmm. Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that the pow- by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. How desperately we need the power of the Spirit to help us abound in hope. 1 Corinthians 15, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. 2 Corinthians 3, 11, For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, the old covenant, how much more will that, what is permanent, have glory? Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Our hope is that we have a glorious future with the Lord. His kingdom does not end. Our lives are eternal with Him. Here's your hope. Oh, I feel like I'm living in a time of terrible darkness. Hope. But I'd like to see better days. I'm afraid I'll die before that. Hope. What if the world gets worse? Hope. Hope. Christian, this is faithfulness. Far too often, believers, we let our circumstances and all the stuff that's happening around us frustrate us, upset us, discourage us, rob us of rest, rob us of peace, turn us into angry, gossiping, sniping, difficult. I know I'm not describing anybody in this room. That's those people out there. Where do we find ourselves far too often? May the Lord grant to his people hope, faithfulness in difficult circumstances is only possible if you have hope. Now, folks, that hope may be Gratified in some way by seeing the Lord at work in his kingdom. You may see people come to faith that you'd have never believed possible. You may see somebody you've prayed for for years come to saving faith. You may see somebody that you've seen stumble be recovered. Hope. You may live long enough to see your children and your grandchildren come to faith. Hope. You may live to see a great awakening where literally thousands and thousands are saved by the preaching of the gospel and the power of the Spirit. You may live to see Him return. Hope. But my friend, whether I die without that hope fulfilled, or whether I live to see it happen, I'm to live faithfully and in hope. It doesn't matter that I'm faced with death. Death doesn't win. The last enemy to be defeated is death. 
The tomb is empty. A glorified man sits at the right hand of the throne on high. Alive forever. Hope. May be contradicted. Doesn't matter. God fulfills his word. May be hard. It may be that you look at your life and you this isn't what I wanted to be. Not what I signed up for. Whatever it is that's causing you grief, hope, faithfulness. Oh, may he grant that we so live. Our Father, may we say with the hymn writer, I'm resolved to enter the kingdom, leaving the paths of sin. Friends may oppose me, foes may beset me. Still will I enter in. May this be our resolution. May we be faithful. May we be faithful whether it costs us our lives, our reputations, or whether we find ourselves in circumstances that are hard that we would never have chosen. Almighty God and Father, in the name of Jesus, make us faithful. Amen. Let's